Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys. This is a podcast from CBS News, and I am your host. Every week, we discuss issues including gender and income inequality. This time, we're looking at the latest fallout from the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. CBS News recently reported that there's been an increase in the number of men seeking vasectomies. Now more women are asking for permanent sterilization. We spoke with North Carolina OBGYN Dr. Kavita Aurora, Ethics Committee Chair for the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, about what she's been seeing in her practice. That conversation after this short break. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. I think there has been an increase um, in the number of patients requesting female permanent contraception in the wake of uh, the Dobbs decision. I don't think we have exact numbers on it yet. It's too early from a data standpoint to know that, but just informally talking to colleagues around the country, especially in states with more restrictive laws, we have definitely noticed an increase. In my own practice in North Carolina, and I don't live in a state with a um, restrictive law currently, I've also seen an increase. I think very importantly, patients are connecting the dots. So I had a patient in the preoperative area um, a few days ago saying that she was on the fence for many years. She knew she was done childbearing, but wasn't sure if she wanted to take the final step of permanent contraception. And the Uh, Dobbs' decision actually pushed her over the edge, um, and in her words, because she wanted to maintain uh, her sense of control over her own body. And so I think patients are definitely feeling uh, the impact already. I'm wondering, are patients all referencing this rumor, this ruling, I should say, or are people saying, all right, if I can't get an abortion and I don't want to rely on birth control, because some might argue that that might be at risk as well, then they are willing to take what is although certainly a permanent step? Yeah, I'm not sure I can you know, speak for all patients, um, but it definitely does come up in conversations in the exam room more often. And it comes up more often across the age gamut. I had a teen in my office whose mother brought her in because both she and um, the patient were concerned about the decision and that in their words, there's no room for error anymore. And so they wanted to make sure that we talked about effective contraception and she ended up getting a LARC device placed. Um, So I think people are definitely aware that um, the wiggle room is in essence gone, um, that there are restrictions on their autonomy, that we need to have contraceptive conversations, um, not that we were, were not having them often before, but especially given this ruling and that even our best contraceptions are not 100% perfect. And so that potentially permanent contraceptive surgery needs to be discussed as well. So let me ask you, for people that don't know what that means, please tell us what's out there and how it works and whether or not it is reversible if people change their minds. 
Sure. So female permanent contraception is surgery. And we used to call it sterilization, but have moved away from that terminology. But that is, in essence, what is done. Um, it can be done a number of different surgical routes. The most common is laparoscopic. So with small little incisions in a minimally invasive fashion, you go home the same day after surgery and you can clip the tubes, you can burn the tubes, you can remove a part of the tube, you can remove the entire um, set of tubes completely. Um, and that's a, a topic for conversation between you and your surgeon about which method and route is best for you. We can also do it after vaginal delivery with a slightly bigger incision. We can do it at the time of C-section through the same incision. So we have a number of different ways to do it, um, but they definitely require all of the ways um, a bigger incision than vasectomy as you started this conversation with. And so I think in the patient-physician conversation and as a part of that therapeutic relationship, that's really where shared decision-making comes in, where we discuss the patient's goals, hopes, values, and needs, and also her relationship status, and then figure out the best contraceptive plan for her. And is this generally reversible or is it a difficult reversible? I know vasectomies can be reversed, but that doesn't always work. I think it's the same. Um, Unless you've removed the whole and it also depends on method of the um, permanent contraceptive procedure. So if you've removed both tubes completely, uh, which is uh, what we are doing more and more often because it actually reduces your lifetime risk of ovarian cancer, then that can't be reversed. We can't put them back in um, after they've been removed. If a portion of them has been removed, there are procedures um, to quote unquote reverse that and bring those two cut ends together but it's not 100% successful. It is expensive. Most often it's not covered by insurance. And so it's an out-of-pocket cost. And so what I tell patients is that you should not go through this surgery if um, you are thinking about reversal, right? You should go through it only if you know that this is a permanent thing that you want to do. Um, Because otherwise we have very effective methods, more than 99% effective, um, such as LARC methods that we can do instead. I understand it's gone so far that transgender men are traveling to some doctors to get hysterectomies because, you know, of those that still have their ovaries can still get pregnant. I wonder if you're telling your patients of different ages, different things, say I'm 21 and I'm freaked out by this ruling and I want to come and, you know, just keep this from being an issue or I'm 50 or 45 and I'm considering this. Thank you for that question. I think this remains a contentious topic in the field of permanent contraception. So on one hand, medically, we have data showing there's an increased risk of regret um, with young age, especially under 25. On the other hand, as I mentioned, as an ethicist, I practice shared decision making, right? And so while I may be the expert in the medical facts and doing the surgery, the patient is the expert in their lives, their hopes, their goals, their vision for their reproductive future. And it's really about centering their wishes in that conversation. So I don't impose any arbitrary thresholds. ACOG recommends not imposing any arbitrary thresholds based on age or parity, which is the number of children someone's had, for example. Um, However, it definitely gives me pause because if we lived in a truly just society, the reversal procedures we were just talking about would be accessible to everyone. And so they would be allowed to, quote unquote, change their mind if time went on and their circumstances changed. Or they would be able to access in vitro fertilization um, 
easily, but IVF is expensive and also not always covered by insurance. And so that is the part of the conversation that I have with every patient is that, do you have access to things if you decide, if you decide on permanent contraception, but change your mind? And how realistic are those options for you? At the end of the day, my job is to listen to the patient and center her and empower um, them. And so if that is what they want, regardless of the age, I'm willing to do the surgery. But I think it's an important and nuanced conversation that needs to be had beforehand. I'm glad that you brought up accessibility because many advocacy groups have noted that women of color and low-income women are going to be most impacted by that ruling. I wonder if if you are seeing that in your patients and hearing that from colleagues around the nation. Absolutely. I think this is incredibly unfortunate. Historically and in contemporary society, we continue to undervalue reproduction by women of color. And we know that permanent contraception is actually more often used uh, by women of color than white women, for example. And so barriers to permanent contraception impact this patient population more, which are already, um, as we've discussed, have disparities um, that uh, related to termination access as well and will be more impacted by the Dobbs decision. So I think this really is um, perpetuating a system of stratified reproduction where one group's reproductive potential is valued more than another. I think it's also really important that we're aware that racism and bias continue to impact decision-making at the bedside. And so as physicians, as clinicians, we need to be mindful that our counseling is comprehensive but and uh, personalized to the patient, but also free from bias based on the patient's demographics. Let me just ask you one more question. As an ob have you been running into insults or harassment from people that are uh, against abortion rights who are some doctors across the nation, of course, have faced emails and people shouting at them outside of their offices and clinics? Have you run into anything like that? No, thankfully, I have been fortunate, but um, I can't imagine what my colleagues are facing. I actually recently just moved to North Carolina. I was in Ohio in 2021. Um, and my past partners are having to call lawyers before they can make routine medical decisions that are evidence-based and absolutely in their patient's best interest. And I know they're suffering a lot of moral distress from this, and I can't imagine practicing in that environment, right? We go into medical school and do residency to help patients and to use our best judgment and form that relationship and form the decision that's right within the confines of that therapeutic relationship. And nobody goes to medical school expecting to have lawyers dictate what you can and cannot do. And the potential for criminalization of that decision-making is just incredibly um, difficult for my colleagues. That was North Carolina OBGYN, Dr. Kavita Aurora, Ethics Committee Chair for the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Thanks so much for joining us. Also, thanks to Alan Peng for his production assistance. Like what you hear? Come on back for more. There will be new episodes of Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys every Friday. Follow the show on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast and leave a rating or review. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Keys, CBS News. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. 
It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.